Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I'm very excited to have Leon Conrad on the show. Leon, I'm just going to read the the bio that that he sent me or I, I got off of his website. Hello, I'm Leon Conrad. I'm an entertaining and knowledgeable writer and lecturer, a sensitive story structure consultant and editor who helps writers craft their work at every stage of the writing process. A top end traditional tutor who helps students get into highly competitive schools, an inspiring voice-centered communication skills coach who helps people improve their voice use, public speaking, and presentation skills, and a detail-loving designer who creates historically inspired embroidery designs that intrigue and engage. Interesting. So um, welcome to the program, Leon. Thank you, Marla. Yeah, and for my listeners, Leon reached out to me, and we kind of went back and forth. If um, if this was this topic, you know, it's it's unusual for for this show, but um, it's really not because storytelling isn't that what our lives are all about. Who was it that said life is just a set is just a stage? I think it was Shakespeare or someone. That's right. <laughs> someone and important. All the players like, on it, yes. Yeah, someone important. Raymond Moody loves to say, you know, we're just this this play that's going on and we're just actors coming on and off. And I I tend to tend to believe that. So let's just jump right in. How did you um get so involved with with storytelling? Did it start as a child? Absolutely. It started out when well let me take my steps back in time my mother used to read to me a lot it was more reading books than making up stories Mm. but she had a voice that brought these stories to life and i noticed it with my own daughter there was something about a particular story and the way i read it if i would read it in a way that she wasn't expecting and wasn't enjoying. She would say, no, 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 daddy, do it again properly. There's something, (laughs) something about embodying your story in your voice, in your very being Mm. and bringing it to life that engages with the imagination. That's what I remember from my earliest encounters with my mother reading a book. The earliest one I remember is A Apple Pie. B, bit it. C, cut it. And you get the alliteration, you get the sounds and the physicality of the language. When I was in going into middle school, you'd call it in the States, I had the great good fortune to have a lesson where my maths teacher was off sick. Poor maths teacher, but great for us. 
The headmaster was an enlightened headmaster who knew every member of his staff and what their capabilities and talents were. He also knew that many people on that day were off sick. There was a bug going around. And he had to find somebody to look after my class. It was the worst class in the school. It had the worst reputation. And he knew the only person who could keep us in check for 45 minutes for that lesson was one of his cleaners. So he went down the stairs, roamed the corridors, found her and said, look, that lesson before the lunch, 5G, I know, I know, I know, but I know I can rely on you. And she came in. Well, a cleaner, a woman in a Islamic head gear thing. Uh, we were just going to run riot until she said with a voice that you had to listen to, would you like me to tell you a story? We thought, hmm, can't say no to that. We're not mm -hmm. going to be taught anything. Why not? And then she asked, what would you like me to tell you the story about? That got our attention. Because she was engaging us. Very few teachers engaged us in those days. And hands went up all round the classroom. And she chose three or four ideas and spun a story straight from an oral tradition of the Arabian Nights, leaving us on a cliffhanger just before the bell went for recess. I couldn't tell you what the story was, but I remember to this day the feeling that she created just spinning a story. We were spellbound. And I remember thinking at that point, I don't care what they teach us in school. I want to learn what you can do because mm -hmm. that has power. Beautiful. And is that what you went on? to study? What did you eventually, do with that Eventually, eventually. She came back a year later. Everyone immediately was quiet. It was a similar situation. The maths teacher was off sick. We couldn't remember what we'd been taught the previous lesson, let alone the maths lesson we'd had the previous week. Everyone could remember what she had told us the year before. She <laughs> said, hmm, I, I see that I must have told you a story before. Where did we leave it last time? And a few hands went up. She got the threads of the cliffhanger where she'd left it and yet again spun an improvised story, leaving us on another cliffhanger in a tradition that comes from a living oral tradition of the Arabian Nights that she was part of. And that's the last time I saw her. It took me 40 years to find somebody from a different oral tradition who was willing to train me as an oral storyteller. And that's what I've been doing for the last seven years. I also have been engaging in a big research project to look into how story works and why story stories, if that makes sense to you. Mm -hmm. No, no, it does make sense to me. I've always been a huge fan of storytelling festivals. I remember 
going to one in Oakland and sort of like the, the cleaning person who came into your classroom, I can't tell you exactly what Greek mythology story it was, but it stayed with me forever. And after that, I actually took a storytelling class and, mm -hmm. and I loved it. And I, I would venture to say it's a lost art, but I don't think it is because I think it's very much coming back. And it's so, it's just so simple. And how do you feel just to go off topic for sort of off topic for a second that kids are now listening to stories on tablets or as they're watching, you know, animation on a computer or something like that how do you feel about that or what that does for a child compared with the sort of storytelling that you're talking about it's a difficult one i grew up in the days before computers and i feel that reading a book or having a book read to you or even listening to a story even better allows the imagination to fire up. You see the pictures that you create in your own imagination, which you don't do if you engage with a story that is already prepackaged visually for you. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. I don't think there's anything wrong in watching a film or engaging with a story on the computer or listening to an audiobook. Great. But when it becomes a substitute for the age-old traditions of storytelling, when it becomes a substitute for a live encounter with a storyteller who has at least 4,000 stories in them that they can draw up to fit the demands of the occasion, they will tell you a story that you need to hear at that moment because they have the wisdom to do so. That's not something you're going to get from a computer. Right. How do you feel about, I used to, I learned this from my children went to the Waldorf school and talking about A, B, and Cs, that they put an art component in there too. Not only the crisp, crisp, crispness of possibly a, a C with cat or, you know, of different letters, but an art component, but also learning that when you want to maybe teach a lesson to a young one, that you make up a story that is with a different character, of course, but has a very similar challenge that possibly the child is having. And it seemed to work. It, it was kind of magic. How, how do you, can you talk about that a little bit? Stories, I think, are ways in which we can reflect on ourselves, reflect ourselves in a way that makes things that might seem uncomfortable if we had a direct confrontation with them, <laughs> makes them seem okay to deal with. In the Renaissance and in many other times, Aesop's fables were used <laughs> as ways of being able to talk about sensitive topics that you would not have been able to deal with directly. That's just one example of how it's not just relevant to children, it's relevant to adult everyday lives. How but does one... There's a, 
Sorry, Marla. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's a question which is um, burning inside me that I'd like to ask you, which is, what do you understand by story? What do I understand by story? I understand that story is a beautiful way to engage to spend time with someone else and to use imagination, magic, mystery, to open up the senses, to bring forth the imagination, to inspire, get people excited about making up their own stories and finding more. And that does, what does that do? Increase neuro, neuroplasticity in the brain. It it helps in every single thing you do on this earthly realm and and it's it's just beautiful i agree but <laughs> let me unpick that answer because it's going to help me explain how i view story a bit differently to other people and other writers who have talked about story or written about story you mentioned two aspects to story. One is the experience of story, that phenomenon that does something to our, the way we think. It changes our frame of reference in terms of time and space, it expands it, and we enter a different mode of being mm -hmm. when we are in story. But then there are also stories, you've said, Experiencing that encourages people to tell stories, to engage with stories. And those are the creations. Without those creations, we wouldn't be able to enter that dimension of story. But it's the dimension of story that I am interested in primarily. That's what I focus on, that state of mind. And it's a very difficult thing to map. Obviously, you need a story to follow, to find out what's going on behind it. But I was lucky enough to meet a venerable academic, Professor George Spencer Brown, who had written a book in the 1960s, it was first published in 1969, called Laws of Form. In it, he laid out with incredible simplicity the patterns we use when we express something in language, when we express something in logic, when we express something in mathematics. And he does it with six simple symbols that are very visually intuitive. I've used those symbols to chart the patterns of thought that give rise to different kinds of stories. And it's those patterns of thought that I'm interested in because story comes to life in the imagination story arises out of our mind and that's where it goes back to when a story closes these patterns are embodied within us and if we can understand the differences in the patterns that give rise to different kinds of stories then we can understand more about ourselves over to you 
over to me. So patterns of thought. So let's make this really simple. If a listener is listening to this right now and they're thinking, which I would be thinking if I had a little one, I need to tell more stories. So what are these patterns of thought? Mm -hmm. So where would, where would I start? Where would I begin? So kind of a way, you know, a little bit away from the academic writing and that jumping into the really heavy duty structure. What are these patterns of thought and how would one use this to help start? Because what I would do as a young mom, well, I was an old mom, but I had young children. <laughs> um, I would read stories. And then from the stories that I loved, I would create my own stories. Mm -hmm. And I would bring in the characters or, you know, the themes or the lessons that I wanted to bring in to the children. And the kids loved it. Um, so how would you suggest to one um, that's interested in that to begin to begin their own storytelling. I'm so glad you asked me to do it in a non-academic way because that is what <laughs> I love doing. I do have an academic bent and the book I wrote, Story and Structure, is deliberately written to, in a way that will appeal both to academics because it's rigorously researched and footnoted, uh, but also it's written in a way that will appeal to the parent who wants to tell a story to their child or just wants to engage a bit more with what makes story story in the sense of both a noun a thing and a verb an action that takes place through time so to make it very simple there's a very popular game called fortunately unfortunately we could play and in six moves we're going to tell a story from beginning to end are you up for playing sure good so you get to choose a character you get to choose whether they start fortunately or unfortunately and i get to choose whether they end up in a happy situation whether it's a happy ending or a tragic ending we shall see and all we do is take it in turns if you start with a character in a fortunate situation, then my next turn is to take it unfortunately. And we'll go so, for six or seven moves. Okay, so I I not only say fortunate or unfortunate, I I tell you what the situation is also. Yes. So I need okay. a who, when, where. A character in some kind of space at some kind of time. Okay. Okay, so I will begin with a, can my character be an animal? Yeah. Okay, so I need to plug in my computer here. Wait one second. So I'm going to begin with a young piglet. And this piglet lives, has had to move to the city because it grew up on a farm, but um and unusual unfortunate circumstances insisted that that the piglet move into the city where um he is scared and unsure of himself and um he's living with his aunt who is is busy all the time and can't really give him the nourishment that he needs 
Is that enough? Yeah. Fortunately, the <laughs> aunt. I love that. Go ahead. The aunt, because she's so busy, because she's at work all the time and has this little piglet who's running amok and needs supervising, has contacted a friend of hers who is the pig community's storyteller. And she says, all right, I will come and watch over this little cousin of yours. I'll keep them entertained. Don't you worry about a thing. However, unfortunately, this friend that was going to watch over the little piglet loved to open up a book and have the piglets read with them and go in a circle. But this little piglet had never been taught to read. He had been taught to live on the farm and play and run and sing and even knit. He was one of the few piglets that could knit on the little farm, but he had never been taught to read. So so he was embarrassed and 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 didn't know what what to do. Fortunately the storyteller pig was very experienced with the ways of young country pigs. And she had brought a picture book just in case the piglet didn't know how to read the words. And she just said, tell me about the pictures. Let's look at them together. And the pages were turned and the story unfolded and the words came out and filled their imaginations. And the pig started talking about his life at back of the farm and knitting came up. Well, unfortunately, knitting did come up, which really excited him. However, the last beautiful little mittens he had knitted were for his favorite friend that was left back at the farm and this brought about about so much sadness of of just wanting to be back on the farm and he started he started getting teary-eyed and and once again he was scared and just just felt so uncomfortable in in his circumstances Fortunately, the storyteller was able, through a process of getting to know the little piggy over time, show him that not only could he make a new pair of mittens because she brought him a pair of knitting needles and some wool, but also learn to write letters <laughs> that he could send back to his friend at the farm. and. He would be able to read the answers that came back for even though his little friend didn't know how to read and write the storyteller knew someone at the farm that could like an ancient egyptian scribe read her letters tell them to the little pigs hear their answers write the answers down and send the answers back in written form and over time, 
The little pig who loved knitting, loved stories, became one of the best knitted clothing designers in the city. <laughs> and had enough money to go back to the farm and visit and bought their own little farm. Oh, that's fortunate. But <laughs> yeah, there you go. We did it. Very fun. Very fun. Yeah, I love so stuff like that. It doesn't take much. Yes. And what we did was tell an extended quest structure story. It was expanded. Every one of those pairs of moves can be expanded further mm -hmm. because every one contains six main elements. The quest structure is formed of number one, a who, when, where, in what condition. Number two, they have a problem. As a result of that problem, they go on a journey. That's number three. Number four, they have a meeting which stops them in their tracks. The tension builds. And that meeting is usually with a friend or helper. That friend or helper will give them something, either advice or some kind of tool or magical object that will enable them to go forward on their quest. Number five is the meeting with the enemy or hindrance that they have to overcome in order to solve their problem. Once they've done that, they get to number six, which is the outcome or resolution. If there is an outcome that hasn't yet solved the initial problem, then you loop back and you go through the steps again. And mm. stories, which is what we did very often, have this try, try, try again pattern. Why we like things in three, I don't know. We have three blind mice, three wise men. You can't have a number one without it having a beginning, middle and end. Mm -hmm. Triplicity is part of our embodied way of engaging with the universe and the environment around us. Past, present, future. Three persons, first person, second person, third person. I, you, he, she, it. And, sorry, um, what was I going to say? That is the quest structure. Yeah. that's Those little moves that if you feel the energy, the ebb and flow, you don't need the words. You can just flow with it. And that is where story comes to life in you. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And number three is is very big in spirituality. I mean, you think of... Um, oh gosh, many, many different things, but, but not that I can really, I, all I can think of right now is the thing that the Catholics, well, the Trinity, that, yeah, the Trinity, the Trinity, that's what it's called, I was raised Christian, the Trinity, mm -hmm. yes, but, but many, many other things, and what I, what I like about this too, is that you could bring it into, you know, I, we talk on the show a lot about the importance of ceremony and rituals, if you don't like those words, you can use initiations, whatever you may use, for the young because we don't in the western world we don't have much of that anymore and hopefully it's coming back to be able to sit down 
in a circle of children and start and and do something like what you and I just did in a small circle and really create that mad that um the create an opportunity for I guess I'll call it imagination yeah imagination and I had a wonderful medium on the show he's he's from the UK and he's very um he's very well Bill Thompson very well known and he was talking about being a young child and his friend's mom would sort of do what we're we're talking about right now and that's what started him on it really his spiritual path to be able to go as you talk kind of into that different I'll even use the word realm and and you could bring kind of mystical stuff into it too for example for example young very young children can see spirit many many talk about it like if grandpa passes and grandpa's in the room and you could even create some things to to make it um easier to easier to talk about and and just not justified, but, but you know what I'm saying, um, validated, I guess is the word I want to use, which, mm-hmm. you know, which is really beautiful too. I talk quite a bit in my book of story as being part of, or involved in rites of passage. Yes. These are very important as are threshold crossings. I talk a bit more about that in my book. There are threshold crossings that must, uh, we must cross a threshold when we go into story and when we come out of it. Mm-hmm. That is what were the function of the once upon a time traditional openings and they lived happily after traditional closings. That's their function, that's what they do. They take us into the world of story and back out of it again. Yeah. And what's interesting about those openings and closings, which I respect and I put at the beginning and end of every structure I map in the book graphically, is that they are composed in a way that warps our sense of space and time. Just think of once upon a time, once is well when exactly is that upon okay i'm putting something on something else but what is it i'm putting and where am i putting it i'm putting it on the time and by this time my mind is suitably muddled up to allow me to enter story space yeah that's the function it forms a very quick hypnotic move Mm -hmm. that takes us into an altered mind space. Within that mind space, we can make sense of things much more easily than if we are in a rational mindset. Not that there's anything wrong with a rational mindset. We do need to think logically, and there is logic in story. But it also opens up our way of thinking to the imagination. In story, there are threshold crossings within the story space. And what's interesting, what I found through analyzing story structure in the way I've done, 
is that very often the, the threshold crossings are between the metaphysical dimension of being where angels or demons mm. exist and the physical dimension of being where human beings exist there is it seems as far as we know from story a connection between those dimensions when there is a sense of there being an excess of something in one dimension of being let's say the human dimension of being if somebody's gone overboard if there's an excess of evil then somehow that vibration carries across the threshold to the metaphysical uh, dimension of being and lo and behold that is when angels appear look at what happened to Baha'u'llah the founder of the Baha'i faith the angel who appeared to him appeared to him in the most horrible filthiest dungeon at the time the black pit of Tehran Boethius writes the consolation of philosophy when he is at his lowest point and that is when uh, the spirit of philosophy visits him he's visited by this metaphysical figure and this is what happens in story it's like we have this inner strong point inner savior character mm -hmm. that will come to us at our hour of darkest need and we can unlock this by engaging with story through our imagination i don't know what form it will come in maybe it's our inner instinct maybe it's a guardian angel maybe it's something Earth else. angel but i can recognize the quality of that experience as being otherworldly but embodied in my physical being mm -hmm. and instead of having to have words to describe what is actually ineffable we have story which makes it graspable if you come too near the mystery it escapes if you have story you have a transparent veil through which you can look to see what is beyond but don't try to break the veil and reach your hand through right it is meant to be mystery it's it's interesting because just the other night I'm not sure when this will air, but it's it's getting closer to Christmas. And there was something on about It's a Wonderful Life and how it's one of the best Christmas stories. And in that, an angel comes at the deepest, darkest moment of, of the guy's life. I can't remember his name, but I just I just thought of that. But with with everything you said, which was so beautiful and wonderfully articulated, um it also opens up i feel in a in a child's mind not just a child an adult an adult the inner child right that this this does happen this does in in real life i can 
kind of reach for my angel, the angels I heard about in the stories. Of course, if you have, it, it just opens up a lot of possibilities, even when you leave the realm of storytelling to bring into your earthly life to be a more evolved, if you will, or or just a little bit more soulful. Do you agree? I do. I'm very wary of talking too much about it or trying mm -hmm. to put it into too many words. Uh, I have a great respect for putting it into story and letting it speak for itself. Yes, yes. Let it kind of marinate and yeah. And that's not really what you're what you're about, but just saying that is um is just a beautiful way to look at it. So Leon, what what would you like to to say to the listeners today, what do you want to shout to the world about your storytelling and, and your beautiful book? What What is the name of your book again? The book is called Story and Structure. And it is beautiful, not because I wrote it, but because it <laughs> had the input of two very, very talented and wonderful people. The designer of the book, Teresa Monachino, who is a glorious designer who made it look beautiful do you have and a copy of it right there i do have a copy of it yes let me show you is this going out on zoom yes there you go right, that's YouTube the paperback and nice this can, you, is the, can you put it up again keep talk as you put it up because then this you'll is the hardback okay it's okay story and structure complete guide and it's illustrated by jason chang who is a wonderful artist who's done pictures mm. for every chapter and there's a story that goes through the book so people can engage on an imaginative level with what's going on in the text and just let their imaginations lead them to wherever it wants to take them so it's not just an academic book it's a it story. is absolutely not it is deliberately pitched to straddle both those interested in the academic side of how story works and yeah. those interested in the practical side of how story works. Mm. If you're the kind of person who has engaged with books by Joseph Campbell, Christopher Booker, you will find a lot in this book that will add to those, that information, those authors' works, and carries it forward. Beautiful. And that's how it's different. That's how your work is, yeah. is, I is show different for the than first, others. Yeah, I show for the first time that the formal poetic shapes we have, like limericks or sonnets or haikus, have those forms because they follow a particular story structure. Mm -hmm. And knowing what story structure is adds to your appreciation of what those forms are doing. Nobody's shown that before. Right. And if wow. people want to engage with the structures just to become better storytellers to their kids at home, to be able to improvise, to relax into a story, not have to think too much about it, then I run courses. I run courses for writers, 
and I work one-to-one -one with writers, playwrights, um, business people who want to tell their business stories as well, shaping at every level, whether it's conceptual, whether it's presentation, how story structure can inform what they do, how they do it, so the story can flow along well-oiled tracks. Yes, and when you talk about stories, some people just immediately think opening up a book or, you know, telling a story, but really, for example, my husband's a lawyer and he always loved in college acting and and every time, really, every time we open our mouths almost, we're, we're telling a story, you know, other than just yes, no, or something like that. So it's so important for, once again, our young and for us, you you think second about what is coming out of, of what are you saying? What is the meaning? How are you weaving? It, it just makes you much more conscious about and present and we're all about being present so i love that about it too it's not just about making sense of things with stories it's the fact that we are story we are yes. being storied by story yeah. for me story is life life story right and maybe how do I want to change this story or this part of my story isn't working or how many times do you hear someone say, well, what do you think, what do you want your story to look like? And well, they usually say, you know, five years, where do you want to be in five years? What you're really asking is, what do you want your story to be in five years? And then you get into the whole time loop where you can create what you want. That's going, but that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> well, what you're doing is engaging with that quest structure. There are 18 different story structures that I describe in the book. We just looked at one of those. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mentioned the threshold crossing once as a whole group of those, but the quest structure is that story structure you follow when you think, where do I want to be in five years time? That's my problem. I don't know. Okay. What do I do? I'm going to go on an internal journey. Exactly. Yeah. Meet some ideas. I'm going to use my imagination as my friend and helper. I'm going to defeat the sense of insecurity, of ignorance. Fear. All that's going to go because I'm going to have a clearer idea. Maybe I sit there for five minutes, 10 minutes, half an hour, a whole day, nothing comes up. So I'm back at the same problem again. What do I do? I find a different friend or helper. I go to the I Ching. I do a reading <laughs> and that maybe gives me an insight that I didn't have before. As a result, I can go back and think, right, now with this insight, I have greater clarity, but I need to uh, have a clear plan what are the practical steps i can take to get me from a to b and then you plan it you have to carry that plan out in the carrying out of the plan you adjust as you go but you're always going through iterations of that basic quest structure as you follow a pattern round which goes doubt three steps doubt Confirmation, affirmation. They're the same things, back to the series of three. Listen out for it. 
that underlie the very famous Latin saying by Julius Caesar, Veni, Vidi, Vici. I came, I saw, I conquered. Mm. Why did I come? Because there was a doubt, a rumor. I needed to check it out for myself. When I came, I saw with my own eyes. That's the confirmation. As a result, I put a plan in place. I carried it out. I put it into action. And I conquered. Con um, affirmation. <laughs> Affirmative action. Done. Wow. Love it. That's another story structure. That yes, I, uh, I can't wait to get this book. I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very intrigued. Well, we need to wrap it up here. But thank you so much for reaching out to me. I, I love having conversations like this. Um, no one's ever asked me you know, questions. <laughs> I'm usually the one that's asking the questions. So that was, that was really fun. Leon, if people want to find you, you've already said a little bit, but what is the best way to find you, contact you? Look for me online. Visit my website, leonconrad.com. Great. And that will be in the show notes. Well, thank you so much. You're in the UK. So what time is it there in the evening? Right now, it is coming up to six o'clock in the evening. Evening. You drink coffee at six o'clock in the evening. You said you had a cup of coffee. <laughs> I do. Okay. It's going to be a glass of wine later on. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, a little bit later. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it and um, can't wait to get the book. Thank you, Marla. Lovely okay. to be here. And thank you for a great conversation. Yes. Hope your listeners got something out of it. I'm sure they will. And have a great evening. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you. Thank you.